Yo, what's up? You're listening to the Keeping It Raw podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This is Keeping It Raw. I am Raw, and today I wanted to talk about the Chris Watts crimes against his family. Now, if you're listening to this, it's likely that you have heard of Chris Watts's name before, uh, and most likely that you've heard of the crimes that we're going to be talking about today. Now, uh, I'm not going to shed any light. I don't have any inside information. I do have a different kind of, uh, I guess, perspective uh, on this whole ordeal. Uh, And so I wanted to take some time to talk about that today. Now, uh, before I get into it, though, I did want to mention that we are currently, me and Allison, watching Leah Remini's uh, show on A&E, which has now been released on Netflix called uh, Scientology and the Aftermath. So if you don't know, I'll briefly explain uh, Scientology is a recognized religion, Leo Remini, and other uh, former Scientologists have, in their words, quote, escaped, unquote, Scientology. Um, Many believe and use the term cult, uh, C-U-L-T, in describing Scientology, um, and so she has a show on Annie, uh, where she allows former members of Scientology to come on and talk about it, talk about their experiences, uh, and all of these experiences are negative. I would say ninety-five percent. The little bit uh, that they say Scientology offers that is positive is a basic level self-help. Uh, <laughs> Self-help. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so I wanted to do a show where me and uh, Allison shared our thoughts on it, shared opinions. And that's something I don't know if we're really going to do because I don't want to take the risk of doing that. Like I said, Scientology is a recognized religion in the United States. And Leah Remini herself in her show has been accused uh, by Scientology, I would say, um, of inciting hate, violence, uh, you know, hate uh, crimes against uh, Scientology. So um, I I also know that there is a term that Scientology uses called called uh, fair game. Now, fair game is where uh, Scientology uh, Scientologists will permit anything to be done to counter anyone who is a critic of Scientology. It's it's pretty crazy. So I don't know if we're going to take that risk of exposing them. Uh, I have too many listeners, uh, and it's such a specific topic that I feel like it is worth at least discussing the show, not particularly... Scientology, uh, but the show is a captivating show. So if you haven't checked it out, that's that's a show we're into right now. We're watching, so uh, I recommend it. But let's get back to Chris Watts. So I had mentioned uh, I had kind of a different take on uh, what most people know about the show, uh, or I guess the crimes. Um, 
and uh, with the recent release of the documentary it's called a documentary it's not a documentary it's uh, what they describe as a first-hand footage documentary so i'll briefly explain uh, what the crime here is so uh chris watts uh, and his wife shanann they have two children and she's pregnant with their third it's a boy and uh they're having you know issues marital issues and so she says well i'm gonna leave town for a couple weeks uh, i think six weeks something like that uh and then um you come by you know leave town they live in colorado she leaves town and goes home to north carolina her family and where he grew up is not too far from where i live it's they're one he his family lived in my city and her family lived about 30 minutes away okay currently and uh it's you know it hit close to home you know my first job was at subway i worked at subway in high school he worked at subway in high school um we worked at two different subways on in the same little town it's a town of about thirteen thousand people it's a small town uh so I always felt like, and he went to my high school. He graduated a year before I did. I did not know him. Uh, you know, had no idea who he was. Uh, and so these are things I learned after the fact. So she comes to North Carolina. Six weeks with the girls. And during that six weeks, he started a relationship with another lady. Uh, went on vacations, went on dates and such. He goes to North Carolina after the six weeks and they all come back to or go back to Colorado. Um, within a weekend, he kills his wife in the middle of the night and also kills his two daughters. What he did specifically was he killed the wife put her on the floorboard of the pickup truck that he had uh, in the back seat, put her on the floor, took his daughters who were alive still, and sat them in the back seat of the truck. Drove them all out to, I think, 30 to 45 minutes away to his work site uh, early in the morning. And then... Uh, killed his daughters choked him to death then he buried his wife in a shallow grave left the bed sheet there the bed sheet's blown in the wind out there in the middle of a field and in these big tankers with a hatch at the very top he climbs the stairs to the hatch it's a hatch eight inches wide and shoves his daughters into those hatches, into the big oil drums, huge oil drums. One of the girls apparently says, no, daddy, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do to me what you did to Cece, the other sister very much aware of what's happening very much concerned and fighting for their life 
it's a very sad story. When this happened, uh, I was one of those people that, of course, was I knew immediately it was him. I knew it was him. I knew he was guilty. And uh, for days, uh, he uh, told the story that he had no idea where they were. That they were going to a friend's house. Now, if you watch this documentary on Netflix, you're going to realize that um, it was a lot more obvious. It was a lot more obvious than anyone previously imagined this whole case. It was obvious what happened, and uh, a lot of detectives and a lot of people that, you know, quarterback analyze all this stuff compared it very much to Scott Peterson and Lacey Peterson. So Scott Peterson and Lacey Peterson uh, from Modesto, California. Uh, She is pregnant. I think she's seven or eight months pregnant, very close to term. And she disappears. Some people say they thought she she was walking the dog. Uh, There's other accounts that accounts that dispute that. That day he went to the marina about 45 minutes away with his boat and went fishing. He's seen by several people. There's different accounts as to whether she would have been in the boat or not. Um, but she's missing. He comes back from the marina recognize that she's missing and such days later they find her body washed up on the shore of the same bay that he was fishing in at the marina um there's no evidence of course nothing puts her in that boat there is nothing uh no evidence suggesting he even did it right uh and very much uh, the same as uh, Chris Watts. He took a lie detector test and failed and confessed. It was very obvious that he was the culprit. But there's no evidence to suggest that it was him. Right? It, until he admitted to it and told them where to find their bodies. Now would they have... Yeah, sure. A little bit more police work uh, would have been required if he was uncooperative. So, uh, my perspective is, you know, of course he worked at a subway not very far away from where I worked. In fact, the first subway I worked in before I got transferred over there was the same subway he worked in. And uh, the manager at that time said uh, she remembered firing him. So she... (laughs) So she fired him, right? He was a quiet kid. He probably just didn't do a good job, but he certainly came across as creepy just because he's quiet. And, you know, whether somebody's creepy or not, it has no significance because if somebody's just quiet, uh, they can, they easily get labeled as creepy. And that was the case here. She fired him and says, you know, He goes to the parking lot, sits in this car, and is there until the end of the shift. So she comes out, and she recognizes him, and is kind of like, uh, Chris, you know, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I was just making sure you got out okay. This is 
third, fourth person account that I'm telling you this story. I remember at that time I was, um, I like to research stuff and I like to Google stuff and YouTube stuff mostly. If I can watch it on YouTube and hear somebody talking about it, I'd much rather do that. And that was the case when this whole crime came up. I wanted to hear what people were saying about it. Because certainly, when you have this kind of crime coming up, there are people that know. And those people that feel like they know stuff, I guess something that you can maybe compare to the podcast you're listening to right now, they're going to share it. They just need whatever avenue. So I remember listening to, I think there were two different people that were doing two or three hour long live YouTube streams about the Chris Watts story. And they were talking about late breaking details when this was all breaking, of course. And uh, it was really interesting listening to their take. And um, this one lady, she was a lawyer would go on there and talk and she said yeah I, the family's reached out to me because they know I do these videos and they've given credence to some of the theories they've um, you know just confirmed things or, and then they've told me this and then she would share whatever breaking information was next you know that kind of thing and it was very captivating she would say things like the family watches this podcast this show so please uh, you know be respectful of the comments you make, uh, those kind of things. It's so captivating to hear something like that and you're watching and this is late breaking and you just feel like you're part of it. You're part of the action. And I've watched, you know, countless hours of this case, interrogation video, the body cam footage. Oh, the body cam footage was so readily available on YouTube. It was unbelievable. The amount of information, of course, Shanann herself did many home videos, did many Facebook lives, did many, you know, was very open. And so this whole family, this whole case was so readily available to anybody who was wanting information that it really was one of the, f if it's the only recognizable case that I can think of where so much information is out there about it. It's wild. It truly is an awfully wonderful time that we're living in. Wonderfully awful. Because of the amount of information, the everything that's available at our at our fingertips. It's wild. Man, so uh, the most, uh, the least widely known, I guess I should say, uh, part of this whole case is the fact that the detectives who investigated this and interrogated him for so long, they were able to meet up with Chris uh, maybe six months after, you know, all this happened and after he pleaded guilty and about six months after they wanted to talk to him to get some closure and mostly so that they can provide 
because you know things were said about Shanann that made her look bad um, even though they were said and uh, said by the killer himself originally he said well you know I killed Shanann because I um, because I saw her kill the girls she killed the girls because she was mad at me so I did the same thing to her I choked her out you know so as unbelievable of a crime this is he in his own words to those detectives six something months later came out and said that he in fact killed her and later at the job site killed the daughters And it's so unimaginable. Now, uh, Watts is currently in Wisconsin in prison. He has no possibility of ever being let go. No parole ever. Okay. He is currently, he's writing a book uh, of prayers with another inmate. Um, He was recently in trouble because he... (laughs) his boxers and his lube was in another man's cell that he has been trying to help now uh book of prayers so since being in prison uh he's kind of said that he's you know been at peace because he has found god he's also said that uh prayer is the way he communicates with his dead family members uh, it draw your own conclusions. It's it's a tough one. I don't I don't get it. So, book of prayers. I don't know what that is or what it means or what it'll be. It'll be interesting. Um, of course, him being in prison, he can't profit it off of you know. Anyway, so I just wanted to talk about that show. If you haven't seen it, um. It's the documentary. Uh, it's on Netflix, uh, and again, it's called um, "American Murder: The Family Next Door." Um, and it's a uh, all video. Uh, nobody. It's no. It's a documentary, but it's nobody's talking. It's just video of what happened. Uh, there is communication. There's talking in it, but it's not somebody sitting down and talking like a typical documentary that you're watching. And uh, it is something to see. Uh, I had seen most, if not all, of those clips before just because the amount of research I had done on this case uh, and the amount of time that I invested in when this originally happened. Uh, But if you haven't seen this, this is a wild way to tell a story. It's a very 21st century way to tell and share the details of a case. American murder, the family next door. Uh, I felt like this uh, in the years to come is going to breed more light uh, on this story. There will be more people with more to say about it. Um, but the fact that it this case itself was so open and shut 
very quickly. Uh, it was uh, it was quite a shock. I don't think that people were quite prepared. And I think this documentary for itself, I felt like it was kind of soon. And then I started watching it and realized, oh, they just pieced together body cam footage and Facebook videos and stuff like that to tell the narrative of the story, um, which is a wonderfully pleasing way to share a story now, 21st century. But uh, there are cases like this that come up a lot, very similar. Like I said, I mentioned Scott Peterson. There's also the Jeffrey McDonald case. Now that's a wild case. If you haven't heard of that case, uh, that that deserves its own show. Uh, the Jeffrey McDonald case, uh, the, I don't recall if he was a captain, but he was a doctor in the military, uh, here at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and, um, accused and convicted of killing his family, uh, his wife and two daughters. Uh, so, and that was in the seventies. Um, and, but there's so much about that case that is so captivating and he's still alive still in jail and still fighting for his innocence, uh, still fighting to be released. So anyway, that's it for this show. Thanks for listening. I want to talk about the Chris Watts story, uh, but there's more to see. Thanks for listening. Yo, what's up? You're listening to the Keeping It Raw podcast.